Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen in front, or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is... Oh, good morning. Hello, Pastophilia. <laughs> My name is Yumiko. I'm one of the pastors here at High Rock Bookline Church. I'm so glad you joined us today for the Sunday service of Mars Hill Fellowship Church in High Rock Brookline. On the first Sunday in Advent, we begin our Advent sermon series um, called A Light in Darkness. During Advent, we will read various passages from Old Testament. And that passage points to Jesus, the light in darkness. So the season of Advent came, and I don't know about you, um, but you know, sometimes during this season, I intentionally really try to imagine what it was like for the people of Israel the shepherds to find Jesus in a manger and how that much joy that brought and this intense longing and waiting for the Messiah to come. And I try really hard to imagine it, but it's kind of hard for me to really get in with how they were feeling. I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. This book has been around 2,000 years, so if you're not don't know this. Sorry, I think it's your fault. But, you, you know, I know that Jesus came, and I think we all know that. So we kind of know that, that Jesus came. We know, we know the plot. We know the twist. We know the ending, right? So it's just kind of like it's hard for me to feel the intensity of the longing that they must have felt. I mean, Advent, the point of Advent is not really for us to pretend that we don't know that Jesus is coming. Is he coming? Is he coming? How's he going to come? That's not a point, right? Like I think knowing the story helps us to look for for the second coming of Jesus. But sometimes I feel like I wish I knew what's it like for them to felt that way, and I can't. But you know, the, knowing the plot doesn't—that's that's not a point because I'm the kind of person um, who can watch the same show over and over and over. Um, this this is a great, amazing TV show. Don't roll your eyes. Um, it's called Downton Abbey, that which is a TV drama. It was made in England, ended about four years ago, and I've been watching this show for last like seven years, constantly, <laughs> over and over and over. And I, I kind of watch it almost daily still to this day. <laughs> the whole series ended four years ago, and I still watches it, and I still enjoy it immensely. 
So for me, knowing the plot doesn't really is not the spoiling the fun. It's just that the kind of initial excitement, initial kind of you know intensity of waiting. That's that's what I miss. But what was helpful for me this year, um, coming into this season of Advent, was to spend some time in a passage in the Old Testament, going back in a time and to spend some time on a text. That really helped me to uh, feel a little bit of that intensity of waiting. So today, we're going to take a look, a very close look, at one passage, and we're going to ask one question. The verse that we're going to take a really close look at and just spend time on is Genesis 3, 21, the beginning of the first passage that Pastor John just read. And the question is this, very simple. Why did God put animal skins on Adam and Eve? The question we're going to look at today is, why did God put animal skins on Adam and Eve? And I have three um, possible answers to this question. That is, one, God put animal skins on Adam and Eve because it was God's response to Adam and Eve. Second, it was a response, God's response to the serpent. And third, it was God's response to us. So the first response to Adam and Eve, as we see in Genesis 2, which is the previous chapter leading up to this passage, today's passage, Adam and Eve had sinned. And the sin meant that they could no longer share the garden with their God. But before God sent them out of the garden, God made garments with animal skins and clothed them. And I can help but to see God's deep, deep love in an act in itself and its timing. Adam and Eve, before receiving this garment, had made this covering with the fig leaves that they put themselves to hide their nakedness out of shame and embarrassment. But instead of these fig leaves, God replaced them and covered Adam and Eve with the garments that a God made. This act meant that God didn't let Adam and Eve leave the garden covered with the symbol of shame, but covered with act of love. The timing of this provision also demonstrates that God cares and God loves Adam and Eve. God gave this gift of garment, of animal skin, not when Adam and Eve were worthy of a gift from God. On the very contrary, it was given when they have proven unworthy. In the Garden of Eden, God had provided Adam and Eve abundantly. God gave them life and a purpose. The Creator God brought life to dust and to bone, provided them with a vocation and a purpose, which was the privilege to live with God in the garden. But Adam and Eve tarnished what God has given them. They messed up big time. And this is the moment 
when God gives the animal skins to Adam and Eve. Just when they have broken what God has given them and have proven that they can be trusted with God's gift, God gives. Even when they're no longer worthy to receive God's gift in the garden, God does not withhold his provision. God provided the unworthy Adam and Eve a gift. Another thing about this timing is that God's provision came before the act of judgment. The words of judgment spoken in verse 16 to 19 and verse 22 of the same chapter are unmistakably stern very clear, and those words were to be executed. But before the execution of this word of judgment came the provision of animal skin. And I find God's unchanging love for Adam and Eve in the fact that an act of grace came before the act of judgment. As they toiled and lived in a harsher, more complicated, and a painful lives outside of the garden. What was covering Adam and Eve was not the fig leaves, the, gla- the sign of their shame, but the symbol of God's grace, lovingly crafted and placed by God. It was not the fig leaves. It was not the covering that they, Adam and Eve, put together and put it on themselves But it was the loving act of God that God had placed on them that they were wearing. The animal skin were put on them because God loved Adam and Eve deeply. And I wonder, some of you sitting here today uh, are able to relate with this sense of shame that Adam and Eve were experiencing. Maybe you've carried a sense of shame with you, maybe because of the mistakes in the past or the failures you have experienced, maybe the struggles of the present, or it may be the voice of your parents that you just can't get rid of in your head that give you this sense of shame. And, you know, when we feel ashamed, when we have this sense of sh- shame, what do, we, what do we do? Don't we usually try to cover ourselves on our own? Maybe some of you cover yourself, cover the sense of shame by your achievement, by your possession, or maybe by simply hiding away, putting a good face and a good smile on your face, but hiding your shame so that no one can see you. But today's text teaches us and tells us that God's grace is greater than your mistake, greater than your failure, and greater than your unexplainable and unreasonable and unshakable sense of unworthiness. No matter how much you feel like you messed up, God loves you so deeply, and God covers you with an act of divine love. The second reason why God put animal skins on Adam and Eve is because it was a response to the serpent, God's enemy. 
As we see in an earlier part of the Genesis, the serpent tore this fundamental fabric of the old created order, which is the relationship between God and mankind. And the serpent did so by misrepresenting God and mixing lies with truth. Consequently, the serpent distorted the image of God and confused Adam and Eve's view of self and creation. For example, serpent acted as if, as if the God serpent knew and communicate is the right view of God. And Eve is wrong to assume that God is a God of permission. Serpent acted as if he knew better than Adam and Eve, that which dictated the Adam and Eve's action and words. In reality, it was Adam and Eve who were created a given assignment to have a dominion over the serpent, who were supposed to manage, who were supposed to care the, the serpent, not to receive order and instruction from the serpent. So God's response to this distortion of the order, the creation, and the God, image of God was to redeem what was lost. What was lost by the sin of Adam was redeemed by God. By, God did that by establishing a pattern of redemption. The animal skin that they're wearing, that Adam and Eve were wearing, was taken from an animal. The consequences of this, the death of animal, consequences, sorry, consequences of the sins were now covered by the death of animal and imposed on animal on behalf of Adam and Eve. And this is the archetype of the redemption that we will see in the history of Old Testament and beyond. As we see throughout Old Testament in the coming weeks, God's people were given very detailed instruction of instructions to practice a sacrificial system, which is the practice of redemption, through which the dead of animal covers atone for the sin of the people, and the blood of the sacrificed animal cleansed sinners. God also restored the purpose of Adam and Eve. Life with God. The serpent's words disfigured the relationship between God and Adam and Eve, which was the fundamental fabric of the created order. As a result, Adam and Eve hide themselves away from God, unable to fulfill this purpose. But the animal skin that God placed on them made them feel comfortable to come before God once again. The restored relationship of Adam and Eve with God was far less intimate and much more limited compared to the original design, but it was a relationship. God brought life to the relationship that serpent distorted and tore it down. The serpent perverted creation, but not completely and not definitively. And to some of you, these words, the act of serpent, 
feels very real. You look around and you feel like God's, the image of God is constantly distorted. God is minimized, misrepresented in our world today. And some of you may struggle to discern what's true. Because the lies are so pervasively intertwined in our lives with the truth. And if that's how you feel, you feel like, yes, the serpent power is still real. I think you're right. The effect of the serpent's words are still real to us and has still impact to us. But again, the passage reminds us that that what is not of God or from God does not have hold on us anymore. God's enemy does not own you. Even if you feel like you don't have a control, even if you feel like you don't know how to resist to this power, the enemy does not have a hold of you. God's enemy instigated with the words, and that instigation was powerful. But God atoned with his deeds definitively. And a symbol of that, God's atonement, God's victory, is the animal skin on Adam and Eve and on you. And the third and last reason why God put animal skins on Adam and Eve is because it was, a res- it was a response to creation as a whole, particularly to us. God's created order presupposed the deep trust between God and mankind. So, what Adam and Eve did was not a mere moral failure but it was a violation of the fundamental fabric of the created order, which is a full trust and a complete trust between men and God. And what they did also is not, and was not, a just a simple infringement of God's given rules, but it was a betrayal of who we are created to be, the essence, of, which is the essence of the ordered creation. God created mankind, to be in God's image, to live in harmony, to love and trust God fully. Functionally and relationally, we're created to be in a likeness of God in what we do and how we relate to one another and how we relate to God, supposed to reflect who God is and how he loves. But that's not what Adam and Eve did. That was not, what they did was not an act of God's creation. The very fact that their action was not of God, out of the created order, instituted the imperfection in the world of God created. As a result, the perfection of God's created order, which was symbolized in the Garden of Eden, was lost not only to Adam and Eve, but to all of us, to the whole of creation. Despite the changes the fall brought in, what didn't change was God's love and God's design for the creation. 
neither the word of the serpent nor the betrayal of the creation affected God's love and design for us. Our function as a created being is compromised as a result of what happened. So our work, our vocation is more complicated and more painful. Relationships are harder with each other and with God. And we have a hard time fulfilling our purpose in a fullest to the design of God. But God didn't change who we are. God didn't diminish our role and purpose because of what happened. God loves and cares for the creation just as much as before the fall. God's design for the creation did not change. And our purpose remains the same, which is to love and which is to glorify God. And because of this unchanging love, God gives the animal skin not only to Adam and Eve, but also to us. As we will see in the coming weeks during the Advent, as firm and as strong and as clear as, as God's love is for us, the power of the darkness remains very strong. The people of God in Old Testament continued to sin and even degraded the God-given redemption, which is a sacrificial system. And even then, God's love and design for the creation does not change. So God sends Jesus as the lamb to be slaughtered and clothe us with this perfect animal skin, Jesus. Just as the animal skin of, on Adam and Eve, the death of Jesus covers us with his love, delivers us from the enemy, and restored us to who we are created to be. Now, um, I realize um, some of you sitting here today, the last however minutes I've been talking means very little or nothing to you, particularly if you do not believe in God the Creator or Jesus the Savior. Um, but you're here for whatever the reason is, you're here and you've been sitting patiently, not walking out. And I'm very curious what's been on your, on your mind. What are the questions and responses in your mind might be? Um, and wonder if you are that someone who do not believe in God as a creator, as savior, but listen to this. I'll actually be very grateful if you're willing to share your thoughts, your reaction to what we just talked about, what I just talked about. I'll be very grateful if you are willing to kind of shoot me an email, we can meet up and maybe tell me why you believe what you believe. And even if you do believe Jesus Christ as your savior, you may not be fully convinced this power of divine redemption that animal skin that we just talked about goes beyond your own personal salvation. Because, you know, when you look around the world, 
The world seems hopelessly broken, and maybe your life may be filled with this darkness of hopelessness. So then you might be sitting there thinking, that's great and all, but I just don't feel like that power of animal skin does anything to do with beyond the fact that I'm loved by God. And I totally hear you. And if, if, if I may, maybe I can share this one day that reminds me of the darkness, and maybe that will help for us to understand the power of animal skin to us today and in this world. So when I just described darkness, I don't know what darkness came to your mind. To me, it's one particular day come to my mind. It's um, actually one Monday in August. It's, uh, it's the August 6th, 1945, in Japan, exactly at 8.15 a.m. The atomic bomb brought unprecedented destruction to the people in Hiroshima. Radiation, fire, and heat killed an unaccountable amount of people instantly. Those who were unfortunate to survive carry their severely burned bodies and severely deformed bodies uh, with their arms up like this so as not to drag their skins that's peeling off from their arms hanging from the tip of their finger. They carried a body only to die a gruesome death later. The bodies of young and old women and men were reduced to um, what can I be described as nothing but just piece of ugly meat, the burnt and deformed meat, stripped of the dignity and the beauty that God created in them. And then there came this ominous black rain. Darkness literally deepened in the morning of summer day. They're terrified. The survivors are terrified with this black rain that they have never seen, this thick black rain from the sky. But burning with a thirst, those who could still move their body, who could still tilt their head, tilt their head and open their mouth for a, just a drop of this black rain, which is filled with radiation. The black rain eventually stopped believing what remained in Hiroshima. The survivors, the collapse building, um, and the plants and the trees, leaving those what remained in Hiroshima covered with invisible even more powerful venom of radiation. Nobody, even the makers of the bomb, really knew what the weaponized radiation does to the human body or to the environment at that point. But the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in a fall after a couple of days was very clear. It was, it was something that mankind had never thought never seen, never imagined, never experienced, but that the magnitude of destruction, the severity of damage was very clear and it was long-lasting. It was the day when the darkness came to Hiroshima 
and loomed over Hiroshima. In the aftermath of such destruction, as people continue to die this inhumane death from yet unknown exposure to radiation, it was estimated that Hiroshima would remain barren for the next 70 years. There will be no trees, there will be no harvest, no new life will survive or will be born. The darkness seemed to have overcame Hiroshima. But not after 70 years, after eight months of the atomic bomb, spring brought new life to the people who had no hope. When a new buds, tiny little green buds began to appear on this burned trees on the branches, what people in Hiroshima saw was a light in the darkness. They cried because what they saw is, is not just the green leaves, but it's a light of hope, a promise of what's to come, and a reminder of what they have lost. It was a very faint, it was a fragile, and it was a small light but it was the light of hope shining in darkness. And I wonder if that's how shepherds who found Jesus in a manger felt. In a darkness where there's no hope, they saw a light in this tiny baby in a manger. It was a promise of the hope. It's the light of hope shining in a darkness. In creation, when the darkness of sin entered, God brought animal skins and a place on Adam and Eve, which seems like a light of hope in a darkness. The animal skin on Adam and Eve is a prototype and a proclamation of the gospel. It's the proclamation of the light, the perfect light to come. In Jesus Christ, our Messiah. To conclude today's, to end our time together today, as reading of the text, I want uh, I can't think of any better way to conclude this time, but to all of us to listen to God's words together. So Pastor Josh is going to come and read a um, passage from the book of John, the first, pers- uh, first part of the Gospel of John. After that, we'll take a moment of silence really to let the words speak to you. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, 
all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Would you join me in a moment of silence? Lord, we thank you so much for what we read in Genesis 3 and in John 1, for the hope that entered into what seemed so hopeless. And I just pray that for anyone who is here this morning and the darkness seems overwhelming, or for people who have friends or family and they have them on their minds right now and the darkness seems so overwhelming, or for the relationships that people are in and the darkness seems so overwhelming, We pray for the light of hope to enter in. And we look forward with longing and expectation for the arrival of your son. In his name we pray. Amen.